excuse my voice, <clears throat> it is a, a strange phenomenon of the modern world that no matter uh, where you go, people are always listening to something. Now that sounds like a totally dumb statement, of course that's true, but think about it for a minute. <clears throat> when I take the train to Edinburgh, uh, the person next to me will most likely have earphones in on an iPod listening to music. The person behind me will be on a mobile phone having a conversation with somebody or something like that. Lots of you who are my generation will uh, find it very difficult to sit in silence. Uh, you will need music or something to be playing in the background. We are always listening, be it the radio, the iPod, the mobile phone, the television, the internet, YouTube or iTunes. We are always listening. But are we actually hearing anything? Just the other day, I was uh, driving out of the car park over here <clears throat> behind the church, and there was a student just out there walking uh, along the pavement. And he had his iPod on and the earphones in his ears. <clears throat> and just as I was getting close to him, uh, he stepped out right in front of the car. He never heard me coming, and he never even looked. He was listening, but he wasn't really hearing what he needed to hear, was he? I didn't knock him down, by the way. <clears throat> I, saw him. Uh, I saw him from a distance, and I thought he didn't see me. So I slowed down. <clears throat> in this parable that, that Jesus tells uh, in Luke 8, he makes some very interesting points about how we listen. In the time of Jesus, there were no iPods or radios uh, for people to listen to. They didn't have favorite albums or YouTube clips. The thing that they were more likely to listen to were great orators and great teachers. People would flock to hear famous teachers speak. Uh, indeed, they would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and hear the law being read and taught. Most people wouldn't be able to read and write. People would tell stories and the history of the people would be communicated from one generation to the next by speech. The people heard they listened and they remembered. That was the type of society it was. Yet Jesus in the parable challenges the listeners to consider just how they are listening. Are they really listening <clears throat> to what they are hearing? And what effect is it actually making on them? You see, we often think of this parable in terms of the sower. And indeed we have come to call it by that name, the parable of the sower. And this is perfectly legitimate to do so. Yet the parable itself is, of course, not, not really about the sower at all. We think of this parable in terms of what happens when we preach the word and how the word affects different people. And that's not wrong at all. But when Jesus told the parable, it wasn't really the sower he was interested in. The point of the parable is about the hearer. The soils are the hearers. And the challenge for us is not to see ourselves as the sower, but rather as the hearers. The question then becomes not what happens when I preach the gospel or I speak the gospel to somebody, but rather what happens when I hear the gospel? What happens when I listen to the word? What type of soil am I? Am I really listening to what I have heard? The parable puts us in the dock, as it were, just as it put the crowd of people in the dock who were listening to it. So let's look and listen carefully then uh, to what 
we see in this passage. Firstly, let's look at the context uh, and the background to the parable. In the first three verses of uh, of the chapter, Luke begins a a new section and we find Jesus traveling uh, about the towns and villages of of Galilee. He is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. After all, that's why he said he came in chapter 4. When he began his public ministry, he came to preach good news about what God was doing in the world. It's a message about God's kingly rule breaking into the human world through him as he teaches, as he heals the sick, as he goes along his ministry. And we find in chapter 8 that at this stage, possibly some two or three years after the events of chapter 4, Jesus has developed a very popular following. Not only does he have the 12 disciples with him, but a host of women who are with him as well. And it's they who who care for his needs. The interesting thing about Luke's gospel is is the prominent part that women play in the whole narrative. That was very unusual at the time. Women were considered unworthy and untrustworthy in this society. Um, A woman's testimony in court would not have been accepted against a man's. Yet here we have Jesus and a host of all uh, these women with him. He taught them as well as he taught his disciples, which again was unusual for a rabbi of that time in that culture. Indeed, it would be women who would be the first witnesses of the very resurrection. And considering their standing in the court of that time, uh, it's a little strange that Luke would write that, unless, of course, it was actually true. That women really were the first witnesses of the resurrection. But it also highlights for us the fact that Jesus saw the kingdom for both women and men. His message was for all people. And there's a great sense of liberation for women here as Jesus accepts them into his company. They aren't second class. They are full members of the kingdom of God along with men. But also notice the great difference in social standing among them. Some of the disciples were fishermen. They had no social status. While we read of Joanna, whose husband was Herod's household manager. She had plenty of social status. A very rich mix of people whom Jesus had following him. From the scum of the earth to the salt of the earth, we might say. And all were able to help. We find that these women, out of their own pockets, helped to care for Jesus' need as he traveled about, as he preached. Jesus, it seems, was a very popular speaker. We find in verse 4 that lots of people were coming from all around the Galilee area to hear this one man. The equivalent today, I guess, would be that Jesus' podcast would have millions of downloads. Jesus was the first century celebrity figure with a mass following huge appeal for the people of his time. And it's this mass following that he speaks this parable to you about the sower and the, and the soils. But why would he speak to them like this? After all, is the temptation not um, for a popular celebrity to say exactly what the crowds of avid fans want him to say? That way you remain popular. You always have a hearing. But Jesus is not that shallow, is he? For him, what he wants is not some superficial adherence from his followers. What he wants is people who will truly listen to him and his message. He's not interested in keeping up his popularity. Rather, he wants people to hear God's word and to believe it. 
He seeks those who are genuinely interested to what, in what he has to say. Now, when I was a student, there were certain lectures <clears throat> that you went along to and you never really listened. No students like that here, of course. <clears throat> you, may, you, had, uh, you had to be there at those, those lectures. You know, it was mandatory. And it was like you were listening, but you weren't really hearing at all until it came to that lecture when they were giving you information about the exam and then everybody listened. And so Jesus tells these people this parable in verses 48. The farmer um, goes out and to sow his seed and as he scatters it, it falls on different types of soil which result in different types of growth for the seed. The uh, farming practices of first century Palestine would be a lot different to what we understand today. The farmer in Palestine would sow his seed first and then plow it into the ground, where we would usually do it the other way around. The farmer would attach a bag of seed to his shoulder and he would walk over the ground and he would sow the seed by hand over the ground. Like so. <clears throat> and inevitably, not all the seed would fall uh, on the best ground. Jesus, coming from a rural uh, agrarian society, would have been very well, well aware of all that. <clears throat> Most of the people uh, whom he was speaking to would have known it as well. So some of the soil, or some of the seed rather, falls on the path. Um, Usually, as far as I understand this, uh, there would have been a public path around the land which was to be sown so that people could walk on it. Um, And it would be trampled, it would be hard, hard ground. And these paths allowed people to walk through the fields without actually having to trample down the grain when it was growing. The seed that fell on the path is is trampled underfoot. The birds come and they eat it away, take it away. uh, Then some falls on on the rock. This type of soil was very shallow. Um, It was uh, a shallow layer of rock or a shallow layer of soil with rock underneath it. And the result was that once the seed sprouted, it does well until all the moisture is dried out by the heat. And then it withers and dies. And the seeds then some fell uh, among the thorns. And these thorns are pretty formidable. Um, They can grow very, very tall, very quickly and very thick. Uh, The result is that the grain doesn't get a chance to grow. Uh, The thorn bushes take the moisture, block the sunlight, and the grain is choked. Most likely dies or doesn't produce any fruit. The equivalent might be for us would be a wind bush or a gorse bush, if you know anything about that. But then finally, some seed fell on good soil. And this seed grows and produces a crop a hundred times that that which was sown. That's a hundred grains of wheat for every grain that was sown. And notice that this is the only seed that actually produces any crop, any fruit. And then Jesus declares to the crowd, He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus is not, again, content with just a casual hearing. He seeks something much deeper within his hearers. Now his disciples, slightly confused, asked him, what about the parable? They would have been with him long enough to know that this this was not his habit. He wasn't in in the business of giving lectures on agricultural practices of first century Palestine. This wasn't his usual teaching style. So why then does he resort to the parable? 
Why use a parable at all? Why not just speak plainly and openly to the crowd? And as Jesus responds to them, his explanation, uh, he explains to them uh, what actually is taking place. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. For the disciples, they were in the privileged position of having the the secrets uh, of the kingdom of God revealed to them. The you there is addressed specifically to the disciples, as opposed to the others that Jesus is talking of. And these secrets or mysteria, as the Greek, are those uh, which have been revealed. That is, these are things that don't come naturally, but are given by God himself. They are the secrets of what God is doing as the kingdom of God is brought to bear in the world before the disciples' eyes. The disciples have the privilege of knowing these secrets, but others whom Jesus talks to, they don't see. And they don't hear. You will notice that this is a direct quote, if you look at your footnote, a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9. What Jesus is saying is that he is teaching in parables deliberately so that some will not see and not hear what he is talking about. The original context in Isaiah, uh, the passage he he refers to, um, is actually the call of Isaiah the prophet. He sees the Lord in his temple. He's purged uh, on his lips with the coals from the altar. And then the Lord speaks the words to him, Who will we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, hearing it, responds, Here I am, send me. And then the Lord responds to him after that with the very words that Jesus quoted. Isaiah was sent to preach to a people who would not hear and who would not see as a sign of God's judgment. As Jesus preaches the kingdom, something supernatural is actually taking place. The word of the kingdom becomes either a word of judgment or a word of salvation. As the kingdom is announced, some respond in faith and others do not. So the parable is something which is deliberately designed to both conceal from those who will not hear, but also reveal truth to those to whom the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been revealed. As Jesus brings the kingdom of God There is a dividing process that takes place between those who respond in faith and obedience and to those who hear but don't really hear. As Jesus comes bringing good news, there is also the bad news of judgment. Judgment on those who are not willing to hear and believe. Jesus uses these parables as a sign of God's judgment on those who are not, uh, not really there. To really hear, just there for the show, just there for their own selfish reasons, because he's popular and it's a thing to do. Now, does that scare you? Well, it should. For it reveals the terrible danger of rejecting the message of the kingdom, of rejecting the gospel and its salvation. These words are very harsh. They make us uncomfortable, but they show us just what is at stake when we listen 
to the word of God? Are we really listening? For if we are, then it will, there will be a change. There will be fruit in our lives. That's the point Jesus makes as he explains the parable to the disciples in verses 11 through 15. The seed, of, uh, the seed is uh, the, the preaching of the word <clears throat> as it is scattered. The word is preached in the context of, of the parable, of course, and the story. It's the preaching of the kingdom of God by Jesus. Just as the seed is scattered on the ground, so the word is proclaimed to everyone indiscriminately. So then, uh, some falls uh, on the path, which Jesus explains are the people who hear and the devil comes and takes the word away from their hearts so that they can't believe and be saved. We see here just the type of cosmic battle that takes place when the word is preached. Satan takes away any inclination of faith and the result is unbelief. They hear, but they don't really hear at all. There's not even a chance of the seed producing fruit in the end. These are the people whom, I guess, dismiss the whole idea of Christianity outright. They're not interested and think it's all nonsense or somehow it's just a fairy story that sounds good but means nothing. Maybe excuses such as science disproves Christianity or there are many ways to God are used to justify their rejection. And yet it's going, what's going on in the heart of these people is that they're rejecting the message and Satan is blinding them, seeking to take away any hints of belief. Next, the seed that fell on rocky ground are those who hear the message of the kingdom and receive it. They receive it willingly and they receive it with joy, at least externally. Yet in reality, they have no root. And so they wither away and before any fruit can be produced, they die. The testing comes and they can't stand the heat. And so what looked from the outside is those who were people who were in fact genuine is proved false. Once hardship, once temptation take their grip on life. Once the reality of true discipleship comes to bear, they can't stick the pace. Once the hardships of persecution or sickness come, these people forget about Christianity. It becomes more of a problem than of a solution. And ultimately, they forsake the path of discipleship and fade away. For example, often very hard for young people in school to keep going as a Christian. Once the pressure of friends is brought to bear and people are mocked and teased because they are Christians, it's really easy just to forget about the whole Jesus thing, to get on with your life and hope the mocking goes away and life gets a whole lot easier. Or the person who in business who claims to follow Christ, yet when the opportunity to cheat the system comes along, the temptation of money is too much. And following Jesus is a hindering to getting rich cheaply, so discipleship is filed firmly and absolutely in the bin. See, these people show a facade of Christianity, but in reality, they never really heard the message. For it has not penetrated the heart enough to really change their life. They don't produce fruit. And those who represent the seed that was sown among thorns, 
They again hear the word and they again receive it. And yet the cares of life, the temptations of pleasure choke them from, and stop them from growing. <clears throat> they show promise. But so many other factors get in the way. They're like the school child who on sports day run, is running the race. But before they reach the finish line, they see the sweets. And they forget about the finish line and they run straight for the sweets instead. I'm sure we might know people even like this. And we don't really understand it. They're confessing Christians and that they don't produce any fruit. Because there's so many other factors there to distract them. Family life. Paying the bills. The need for entertainment at the expense of everything else. The desire for a good time to enjoy my life. Which in our shallow western culture tends always to mean enjoying drunken exploits and casual sex. The temptations that so easily overtake us as we look around at our school friends, at our university mates, as our colleagues in work seemingly to have so much fun. And nights out or whatever it may be. And our stuffy old Christianity seems to deprive us of all these things. And temptation has its way with us. And before we know, our love is directed not towards God, not towards other people, but right back at ourselves. <clears throat> I remember at university having, a, a, having great conversations about Christianity with a, a girl we knew. <clears throat> she seemed so keen. She really really enjoyed the conversation. She loved to read the Bible. Um, we took her along to Christianity Explored. It seemed that she was converted. Or if she wasn't converted, she was really, really close. And as soon as the opportunity for a new sexual partner came along, off she went. And that was it. It was gone. Went along with all the interest. Or maybe it's the worries of unemployment or job security. The desperate attempt to have enough money but there never seems to be enough. And so more and more time is given to work and to worry and less and less time is given to true discipleship. And so these people are killed by a thousand distractions. Starting well, but never maturing and producing any fruit. They are always in the building, but never part of the church. And finally, the good soil stands for those who hear the word and retain it. They persevere in faith and so produce a good crop. They bear fruit. These are those who hear the message of the kingdom and respond in faith and obedience. They are those who seek first the kingdom of God and know that other things will come in their time. They are prepared to persevere even when the hardships and the trials come along, when the persecution comes. They keep going in faith and produce good works. They produce righteousness in their lives. For they hear and understand and they act on what they hear. They're not casual followers or fair weather Christians. They're in it for the long term. And so we should understand that this parable is about our reaction as well. Our reaction not just once, not just a once for all, but rather our reaction to the the word over a lifetime of hearing it. It takes time for seed to mature and produce a crop. And likewise in, li in our lives it takes time for fruit to come. But it will. Genuine faith in Christ will result in lives that are different. 
The danger is that we react to the word in the wrong way. That we get distracted or disregard it. The parable puts us in the dock and asks us to search our hearts and see just how we are listening. Are we really listening and obeying the voice of Jesus? Are we producing spiritual fruit and growth? Or are we not really listening? Have we developed spirit, spiritual deafness? And listening to many other things, but not the word of God. Are we holding on to God and his message of grace and hope in the gospel? Or are we deafened by a thousand distractions? Are we kingdom attuned? That is, are we those who are hearing, believing, and acting on the message of the kingdom? Do we bring its reality to bear on all aspects of our life? Or are we content with a mere casual adherence to Jesus? For if we're content with that, the issue then becomes, is he content with it? As Jesus teaches his disciples this parable, he's letting them into the secrets of the kingdom. The reality of what the kingdom is like in its two-stage aspect. He has come proclaiming the kingdom and offering it to all with a message of God's favor. A message of grace and salvation through him and his death. But a time is limited for each person. Each person only gets as, as long as they live to hear and believe the message. Or as long until Jesus returns. And he will return this time not as, as the servant saviour who offers us forgiveness, but as the judge and executor of God's justice. Time is short. That was brought home to me this week in fine style. The word is like light. As Jesus points out, in verse 16 and 17. And as such it shines and exposes. <clears throat> to allow people to see. It strips away the unknown. And helps us to see the reality before us. But it also exposes us. It searches the hidden depths. And makes known what we would prefer to be secret. It strips away the superficial shell and exposes what lies underneath in the hearts of those who hear. And all those secrets will be revealed. So we should take to heart what Jesus says to us. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. What is <clears throat> whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. For those who hear and believe the message, more is promised. But for those who fail to heed the message, even what they delude themselves into thinking they have will be stripped away and they will be left with nothing. No fruit, no hope, no life. And this is the awful reality of rejecting the message of Jesus. This is the devastating reality for those who will not listen when they have the chance and obey. For I'm sure you've noticed there that the only way to tell if someone has really listened is if they are obeying. Notice that little story Jesus 
uh, or about uh, Jesus and his mother and brothers in verses 19 to 21. For Jesus, the proof that we are truly part of God's family is in our hearing and obeying what we hear. For to truly hear is to obey. Now, I'm not saying that we're saved by our obedience, but merely that when we truly hear the message and believe in Jesus, obedience will be the result. But for those who do not hear, they are not part of God's kingdom and his people. It is a stark choice that we face. Will we listen to Jesus, to his message of grace and forgiveness, and respond in faith and obedience? Or will we be ever hearing, but never understanding, ever seeing, and yet never perceiving?